Now, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to have a look at Galatians chapter 1. Now, as you turn to that, just to let you know that Galatians is probably well known for the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Now, we've just come off uh, a series not that long ago on fruits of the Spirit, haven't we? And I thought what would be good this morning is that we go back to the start of the letter and have a look at why this letter was written. So we go to Galatians 1. Now, this letter was written by Paul, and it was to the churches of Galatia. Now, in his initial, initial opening uh, comments, which we're actually going to look at a bit later, after that, Paul's tone really changes. Paul is a straight talker, and there's no exception in this letter. He gets kind of whiffed of something happening in the churches of Galatia that makes his blood boil. He's cross. He's frustrated. You know, want to know what it is? Christians are turning away from the true gospel. And they're believing in something else that's not the gospel, a new kind of gospel. And Paul, who was an advocate of the gospel, who kind of made it his life's mission to preach the gospel, he's upset about that, that they've turned away from this true gospel. And so he writes this letter to them. And we're going to pick this up in verse 6. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So what is really going on here? Well, there has been some teaching that has come into the church and they're teaching these Gentile Christians that they have to conform to some Jewish customs, such as circumcision, uh, diet, what they wear, dress code, and with that, earn the favour of God. And so you can see why Paul is really upset with this, that these Christians have been swept up by this false teaching. And so Paul says what they've done is deserted the true gospel. And I want you to remember, this is not just one church that gets this letter, not just one rogue church with Christians in it, but this is for all the churches in this region of Galatia. So Paul is furious about this for two reasons. He's furious because these Christians have turned away from the original gospel that they first knew when they came to know Jesus. And the second thing that kind of gets his blood boiling is those teachers that have come in and have said, this is what you need to do also. That will earn God's favour. And he's really upset with that message. And so he elaborates a little bit about 
why he has the authority to talk like this and why this is so strong for him. We go to verse 8 and it says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, now, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, for Paul, this is serious stuff. He's upset and he wants them to know. He uses the word even this is a curse. And Paul is defending, you know, not only his own gospel interpretation. You know, this is what I think the gospel is. He's not defending that. But he's defending the gospel that Jesus himself gave to him. On that day that he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Remember that story? Where Jesus met him, he was able to see Jesus. And Jesus called him to go and preach the good news to the Gentiles. I like what John Piper says in this quote. Paul's gospel is not his own. It is from the risen Christ. His authority is higher than angels. Did you pick that up in the, in the passage? That he says, even if an angel comes and preaches something different to what I've preached to you, that it's going to be cursed. I don't know about you, but initially as I think about an angel, if an angel came down to me and spoke to me, firstly you'd go, is this, pinch yourself, you're not dreaming, Right? And you go, wow, an angel, I've got to believe this angel and what he's saying to me. You know the reason why he uses an angel? It's because he kind of, for me, it's like this. Let's imagine, here we are, and then you've got to level up, right? You think an angel's probably a little bit higher than what we are. But then Paul is saying this, my message is not my own, my message is from Jesus, and Jesus is up here. Jesus is above the authority of even an angel who might come down and speak about something else. So if that happens, it's cursed. Don't believe it. And Paul wants to help them to understand why he can talk like this. Where does his authority come from? And we see that if we go back up to verse 1 the very start of this letter. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters are with me. You see that word apostle? That means sent. And so what Paul is saying is, he's been sent by God to preach this true gospel. He hasn't been sent by man, but by Jesus himself. 
You know, sometimes we have people come up here on the stage and we might lay hands on them and we might like commission them, right, to go out because they're going to be a missionary somewhere. That's kind of um, man-ordained. You know, we, we kind of laying hands on and so God might still be in all of that, but that's sent from man. And Paul is trying to distinguish Hey, just a group of people have got together and thought, you'd be really good at this and we believe that maybe you've got a bit of a calling in God's life, uh, from God to do this. And so we're going to encourage you by praying for you and, and maybe supporting you financially and we'll send you off. But Paul is saying that the day that I met Jesus on Damascus, on that Damascus road, was the day that Jesus ordained me the day that he commissioned me and he sent me out. And so he wants to claim his authority is not just because he's a good guy and he's done this for a while, he knows what he's talking about, right? It's because of Jesus, how he can be like this. And he continues to show them this little bit of this story to convince them of what he is saying is true. And we can see this also being said in, from verse 13. He says, For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human beings. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. You see, Paul is so strong about this topic because he has been called by God's grace to preach the gospel of the good news to the Gentiles. He was once a fighter against the Christians, against the church. But now he's a friend. He's an ally to the Christians since the day that Jesus revealed himself to him. Here's a question for you. What happens when false gospel starts to creep into your life? Well, Paul would answer it like this. You start to live a life that doesn't reflect the gospel at all. I like the way William Barclay puts it in this quote. A real test of a Christian is not whether or not he has gone through certain ceremonies and taken certain vows, it is, has he seen Christ face to face? And as I was looking through this particular chapter of Galatians, it made me ask myself a question, and that question was this. Am I susceptible to hearing and believing something that isn't the true gospel. And as I thought about that, I thought of 
the devil. I thought, he's, he's powerful. He's strong. He wants to trick me. He's out to deceive me from the truth of the real gospel. I acknowledge to myself that I'm not perfect. I fail. I don't get it right all the time. I thought, if the Christians in the Galatian, Galatia area, in those churches there, if they could be deceived with this, maybe I can be too. How about you? Is it possible for you to hear and believe in something that isn't quite the gospel? Is that possible? You know what? We live in an age, unlike Paul's, where technology has had so many advancements. We can communicate straight away, right? So in Paul's day, if he heard of this, he might have just, if he had a Facebook account or, or some social media, he probably would have just written it down and sent it straight off to them and there might have been some extra dialogue and some conversation. You know, we have enormous amounts of information at our fingertips. I can just grab my mobile phone, it's called a smartphone for a reason, because it's, I say it's just like a mini computer. I can look up the internet, I can watch YouTube clips if, if I want, just a smaller screen than your laptop or, or something else. But you can look up anything you want and get so much information. You can watch a, um, a message on, on the internet, you can research a topic, you can look at some commentaries, you can get people's opinions about all sorts of things. And here's one warning that I want to give us this morning, and it's this. Don't be quick to believe everything you hear. I, like you, probably refer to the internet a fair bit on different things. But you know what? Mr. Google doesn't always get it right. I just think of uh, Sharon, who's doing paramedic studies at the moment and been doing lots of essays and putting in papers. And I know with lots of unis, when it comes to even a, a search engine, something like Wikipedia, that they often don't let you quote from Wikipedia because it's not always accurate. It's a good source, and I use it, and it's accurate in lots of ways, but it's a starting point to maybe you figuring out hey, what else is out there? And it could have some good references to refer you on to something else. I like the way that Wikipedia talks about itself even. I looked this up and it says on the Wikipedia site that Wikipedia is not a reliable source. Wikipedia can be edited by anyone at any time. I don't know whether you know that. It's called an open source. It means if you've got a comment about a person, you can go in and edit that. The trouble is that edit might not be right. That's why it's an open source and can't be reliable. It says, this means that any information on it contains, uh, any information it contains at any particular time could be vandalism. 
Biographies of living persons are especially vulnerable to this issue. Some of the article information might not be accurately true, which is therefore considered to be wrong. Oh, go figure. <laughs> um, I saw a stat a number of years ago now, so they might have improved, but someone apparently did some research and some statistics on Wikipedia and they said about 80% of it's true. So a fair bit, but not everything, okay? Um, and so we just got to really watch out on what we are hearing, do we believe it? Got to watch out for that. So I've just come up with some tips to avoid you being and I being persuaded in the wrong way. Here's just a few for you. First one up there on the board is pray for wisdom. You know what? As Christians, we can have the mind of Christ, right? But we need to pray. Pray, God, hey, I'm not sure about this topic or this subject. I'm not sure how to deal with this. This has come to me. I'm not sure. Is it right? Pray that God will give you a clear understanding. We can pray for wisdom. The second one there is reflect or research on what's being said. You know, you might hear hear a message at church, whether this church or another church. Don't just say, well, it's been said, so it's fact. You should reflect on that. You should go out and do maybe your own research and say, oh, I want to figure out that a little bit more. Is that right? Well, yeah, I think that's right. Let's dig a bit deeper than what we've got time for, even for something like this morning. Maybe it's when you go to the Kurong bookstore and you grab a book. You know, don't just think that any book off the shelf is going to be totally true. Maybe when you look up websites or you listen to a, a message online. Think about what we are hearing and do your own reflection and research about that. Here's another one. What's the source's credibility? You know, it might be a person who's speaking, but it might be some digital form of an article or something like that. What's the person's credibility? Have they been truthful in the past or have they been known to throw out some porky pies from time to time? You know, that might show you that maybe I've got a Have a look into this a little bit more if they've been one to not tell you things that are accurate in the past. Or maybe like the old American uh, evangelists on TV, sometimes some of them, you know, they were interested in money. And so if someone's just talking about the gospel and and money, money, money all the time, then maybe you've got to stop and, and, and wonder about their credibility and all of that. But here's the one that's really important, is what does the Bible say? You know, the Bible is God's divine word. It's inspired. It's breathed of God. And I think it's okay that we do this. And I know I do this, and I'm sure you do too. We'll have a topic that we'll discuss, and whether this is at home group or whether this be just with um, individuals in the coffee shop or whatever, that we'll go to each other with something. Oh, I heard this. What do you think about this topic? You know? Um, And we might start to debate and talk about issues of the Bible together and try to work it out. And sometimes that's okay to get some other people's opinions. I'm not not bagging that. But I think what we need to do more than what we do at the moment is grab this. Grab the Word of God and say, I've heard this. 
What do you reckon? Well, let's search it from the Bible. What has God got to say on this issue? This is God's instruction manual for life. He'll tell you about all sorts of things in there. But he'll also tell you what the true meaning of the gospel is. Open it up. Have a look. If it matches what's being said or what you're reading, that's a good way to avoid being persuaded by the wrong things. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you're at the Grampians. Anyone here been to the Grampians? Yeah, good place to uh, explore and go for some walks and haven't been for a long time. Maybe we should go again, Sharon. Um, Take the kids. I know you don't like walking, so that's all right. I'll have to wait till I get over my injury. But you know, it can be be rocky and you can have... uh, places that are pretty high up and places that are low and some crevices and let's imagine you're walking and you've got your backpack on and you're all alone but you've told people you're going to be back at the pickup spot at a certain time, right? And so you're going along, you're going along, you're climbing up um, this ravine and all of a sudden you slip, right? And you, you tumble backwards and you fall down and you're on the ground and you know you've hurt your leg. Probably like me, when I did my basketball injury, I knew straight away. I never yelled that loud, I don't think, in a game of basketball and went down holding my ankle. I knew something was really bad and wrong. I had to be uh, carted off to the sidelines. Couldn't put any weight on it. Imagine that is you at the Grampians. And it comes time to be picked up. But you're a no-show. You're not there and they wait for an hour, still a no-show. And they know something must be wrong. They call out your name. They run in different places. But you're too deep in that they, you can't hear them. They can't hear you. And so the rescue helicopter has been called because the alarm bells have gone off. Something must be wrong. And this emergency rescue helicopter is flying over the Grampians and the guy in, the, in there has got binoculars, he's looking for you. And then there's a bit of buzz in the helicopter because they found you. You're there. And guess what they do next? They can notice that you've got a sore leg, so they throw down a bandage. Here's a bandage for you. Um, They know that, hey, you might not be able to find your way out of the Grampians, so you're you're stuck and you need some help. So they throw you a map. Hey, here's a map. It's got the instructions on it. We've written it down on how to use that bandage and a map of how to get out of here. Glad you're okay. We found you. There you go. You've been rescued. All right. And the helicopter flies off. That's not the way that it happens, is it? No, that's not a true rescue. The helicopter sees you. A guy from the inside the helicopter comes down and he might even have a stretcher and he goes to you and he puts you on that stretcher and you come back up to the helicopter and flies you off to hospital or wherever you need to go. But you are truly rescued, right? You see, Paul, he vigorously defends the gospel and the gospel is one of rescue. 
And he gives us a small snapshot of what this true rescuing gospel is all about. And let's have a look at it in verse 3. He says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, Paul doesn't talk about here any of the teachings of Jesus. He doesn't do that. But he states the gospel as a rescue mission from God to us. That God, by his grace, has sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we can have a relationship with him. Isn't that awesome? That's what the true gospel story is all about. And Paul puts it in there because he wants them to remember that original gospel message that they would have heard at the beginning in which they accepted. Here it is again. I like this quote from a commentary called Galatians for You. And it says, The biblical gospel, Paul's gospel, is clear that salvation from first to last is God's doing. And here's a reminder for us that there is nothing that you or I can do to add to God's saving grace. There's nothing. It's by God's grace that we are saved. Nothing we can do to add to it. I want to say that um, going to church is not only great fun, but it's really important. I want you to hear me say that. I think it's important because we come together to praise God together, to say, hey, God, you're worthy of our praise. Hey, thanks for the week that you've given me. Thanks for helping me out in a certain situation, whatever it might be. But we also come to a place like this that we call church to maybe be inspired Um, to be encouraged, to get the courage even from talking to one another or from the song or from a message. Courage that we might be able to get and receive that we go out of these doors into our week, that we might be able to live a life worthy of God. You know, some of us might have a a pretty easy week. We're around other Christians and there's not too many... um, Ripples, where things might go wrong. But maybe for some of us, we're going to go into a week where things are really tough. And we need this encouragement and courage to enter our week to say, hey, I know God is with me. Help me in these conversations. Help me um, with the decisions that my company's making. And I just want to make sure it's, it's going to be a godly one. Church is kind of all about that. There are millions of people that go to church. 
And out of the millions of people that go to church, I am sure that some go to church, not for those reasons that we talked about necessarily, but come to church out of a sense of duty. And if our coming to church is out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of, I've just got to go, there's a sense that what we're doing is we're getting like, here's just one box, church, right? And there could be lots of boxes. Here's just one box that I need to do that God will be pleased with me. And I tick that box off. And in a sense, if our motive is just, I've just it's a duty, it's like we're saying, I've ticked the box, and that's going to earn favour with God. It's like we're saying, I, myself, can earn my own salvation. It's about all the things that I can do and to tick off. And if Paul was here today, he would say, no, 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 that's not it. The true gospel message is that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And he rose again. But he did that. And that was a a one act so that we can have a relationship with God. And we can't do anything else to add to it. God's done it all. You see, that's what grace is. Undeserved favour. That means any one of us and anyone out there in the world can have this grace. That might mean that there are people that go, are going to churches today. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal saviour. The good news is this, that there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's no boxes that you need to tick off and then God is going to accept you. God has already done it. He sent his son Jesus. And to know God is to say, thank you God for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I want to accept that because I'm a sinner. I fail. I get things wrong. I'm walking away from God's plan for my life. But if you're here this morning, you want to go towards God's plan, you want that relationship with God, all you need to do is to accept what he has done. That's it. If that's you, I just encourage you to speak to one of the pastors or a friend that's brought you here this morning or go to the prayer room, which is over here. And talk to someone. So some might say, well, what about God's law? You know, if it's all about grace and one true gospel, what about God's law? Is that really important? Well, yes. I've got to tell you, it has its place. Because the law, this is what the law does. The law reminds us that you and I are not perfect. The law reminds us that you and I fail. That you and I fall short of God's glory, short of God's standard. And when we can acknowledge that we are fallen short, 
we can actually smile and see and highlight the amazing grace that God has given to us. And that, that's great when we can see that. He rescues us out of love and there's nothing else that we need to add. I love this quote by William Barclay. It says, The law convinces us of our own insufficiency and in the end compels us to admit that the only thing which can save us is the grace of God. So as I finish up, my encouragement for you is this. At some point, I want you to do a self-diagnostic, okay? And I want you to ask yourself uh, this question. Is there anything in my life, knowingly or unknowingly, that I've been adding to the gospel? Knowingly or unknowingly where I've been adding to the gospel? Well, we're going to sing our final song um, from Keith Green, this song is. Some of you might know it. Oh, Lord, you are beautiful. And as you sing this song, I want you to sing it out to God. But while you sing these words, I want you to allow these words to minister to you, to speak to you also. Thank you.